0: Hello, listeners, this is another episode of the Coalesce.Earth podcast. This is Emily, and I'm here with Sierra, also from Coalesce, the Campus Sustainability Accelerator. We're happy to be joined today by Dr. Wendy Purcell, President Emeritus of Plymouth University in the UK. She's here to talk with us all about transformational leadership and her experience as a president at the university. She's also writing a book, which we're excited for the release of. So without further ado, let's begin the interview. Wendy, thanks for coming to The Hub and welcome to the Coalesce at Earth podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here.
0: So to start off for our listeners, can you give us a brief overview of your background and your career trajectory and what's brought you to the field of sustainability? Sure.
1: Well, I'm currently um, a visiting scholar at uh, Harvard University working with the Center for Health and the Global Environment. And I'm very much doing a kind of sabbatical Um, having finished uh, eight years as uh, president of a university in the UK and actually it had the accolade of being the number one green university in the UK so it really was a very um, important part I think of our um, approach to university education and research that we really thought about future-proofing our graduates and uh, working on real world problems and trying to come up with real solutions. So, I kind of got into being a, a university president um, really following a science degree. So, I did my science degree, did a PhD, and then I was working very much on uh, research and research with the pharmaceutical industry. And then I got kind of a full tenured position in academia and a university, and then went on to become a head of department, and a dean, and then a vice president of research, and then up to president. So um, it's really nice, after all that time, to take a pause and to be thinking uh, with the um, colleagues at Harvard about broader issues, really, about sustainability and leadership. That's really where I'm focusing now.
0: Great. So what got you interested in sustainability and leadership?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, And I was thinking about this. It really came from friction, I would say, in my organisation in that I had, in the university, I had some of the very best scholars um, and researchers on sustainability. So we had like the world's leading... Um, chap uh, working on environmental sustainability and education so really a real thought leader we had some people who were working at the cutting edge of renewable energies Um, and you know they really were helping you know the world think about you know new ways to address some of the uh, some of the problems that we have today and coming up with solutions Um, and I had an estates function Uh, and a sort of professional staff who were looking at cost-cutting and mitigating risk and putting up buildings, and uh, and the two parts of the organisation just weren't talking. So here I had in in my university, I had some of the the world's best leaders uh, and scholars thinking about sustainability, and I had a whole professional group of people trying to work up solutions for um, putting together an organisation and the university that would kind of build for tomorrow and they just weren't talking and they were actually worse than that they were they were arguing with each other so um, the academic staff were coming up with pure solutions for all the things we should do about recycling and green buildings and waste and thinking about travel costs and they're pure solutions and the estates and the professional staff in the organisation were saying well that will never work and that's too expensive and that doesn't fit with our budget so there was a real sort of tension and it got to the level um, of friction um, so much so that you needed to draw the president into the table to start talking <laughs> and actually as we started to talk we, we realised that we were actually speaking different languages mm-hmm. so um, the organisation was actually talking about the same thing the academics wanted us to be world leading and thought leaders, uh, the professional staff wanted to showcase um, the university for, you know, in terms of best practice. They wanted to, to produce a sustainable organisation. They wanted to think about a campus that would still be there in hundreds of years. They wanted to, to make investments ethically. They wanted to, to um, really think about cutting costs, becoming more efficient. Um, and, and actually in that conversation, that very first conversation, it went from arguing to agreeing that actually what we were all talking about was how can we make this university, this educational organisation thrive, how can we make it sure that it survives in a healthy way out into the future, hundreds of years from now. I mean. In the UK, we have Oxford and Cambridge, they're 800 years old. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, an, an institution like mine was 150 years old. So how could we become really successful, you know, in 600 and something years' time? So decisions that we understood, that decisions we made today would affect our future. And so in that conversation, out of that friction, became a sort of, um, it was almost like we started to speak the same language. We started to understand the different pressures And what I understood was I had uh, a unique opportunity, I think, in the institution to showcase some of that academic thinking, some of the best practice, and actually drive up the reputation of the institution um, to to be a really leading university, leading educational establishment. So it, it occurred, really, I think, to me that... There I was, as the the leader of an organisation, thinking about delivering graduates for tomorrow, uh, citizens of the future, thinking about creating research and innovation solutions, and you know that was all sustainability, and mm-hmm. I'd only really previously seen it as, you know, sort of uh, a green movement, um, a movement for reducing waste or using less fuel, or turning the light bulbs off. I hadn't seen sustainability as something which was about mitigating risk, making sure I attracted the best students, making sure that my students were really employable when they left because they understood the circular economy, uh, really understanding that my researchers would get grants to work on you know, uh, projects which are really big projects, Mm -hmm. globally relevant projects, so it all became suddenly clear, if that makes sense, that the green stuff that I was sort of thinking was about recycling and waste and stuff, yes, of course it has that perspective, but it was actually about creating a sustainable organisation, and that's really the thing that struck me, I think.
0: That sustainability isn't just this side project where if you have time, it's a nice and noble thing to do. Rather, what I'm hearing from you is that it's actually integral to a successful organization and higher ed institution.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's put very well. I mean, I think I saw it as a discretionary thing to do about doing less bad. And once I'd finished the day job, I would do something that was about sustainability, mm-hmm. and yet when I started to unravel and unpack the, the sort of space around sustainability, I understood that actually it's about sustaining the organisation to be in a really healthy state and to, to thrive, really. Um, so it became embedded, and so I started talking about strategic sustainability, and how could some of this thinking advance our teaching and learning? How could it advance our community engagement? How could it inva- advance our philanthropy? How could it inva- advance things like our investment strategy, our capital projects? And So it became very much embedded into the organisation's strategic direction as opposed to it being, as you say, a discretionary or a sidebar
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: issue. Yeah. Um,
2: And were the facilities team and some of those leading professors and thought leaders on campus able to bridge the gaps and resolve the tension that had been caused through sustainability? Was this a shared experience and journey, or is this more something your personal
1: discovery? I I think that's, yeah, the bridge, actually became the student body. Mm. Um, The students became, I think, the connector uh, between the academic space where people were looking for really interesting questions and the professional space where they were looking for really interesting solutions Mm. to some problems. And so the the fuel, if you like, between those uh, were students. So students were really deeply engaged in... Working on really interesting real-world, real life issues, um, and actually seeing the fruits of their research turning into things that the university was doing. So, for example, we had um, an inter-halls challenge. So we had a whole hall, various halls of residence, and they decided that it would work on energy efficiency and uh, utilisation, and then they decided to have a big competition um, to see which hall of residence could use the least. Um, and, and so that was a really interesting project. So there was a sort of research project that the students were doing, but there's was also a real upside for the estates function to say, actually, what is the minimal usage and what would be the benchmark usage? So they started you know, working together. Um, but I think because they have very different cultures, academia and professional areas, I think we needed that bridge. The students became the bridge um, at all levels of the organisation. And they were just very aware that the world that they were going to move into and inhabit uh, as leaders of tomorrow was a world that needed some of the solutions around um, a more sustainable way of doing business, a more sustainable way of, of, um, you know, changing our clothes or washing or, you know, so there were some big problems on their agenda that they recognised this was a great opportunity to practice and experiment, really, within their uh, programmes. So in the end, we sort of wrote into every single curriculum, every single programme, every degree programme, every certificate programme, every master's programme, we actually wrote into it, curriculum around education for sustainable development. Became a core distinctive attribute of graduates of my university, that they would be able to join your organisation or set up their own business, but they would actually genuinely understand sustainable development in its broadest construct. Um, about regenerative, about creating value, about working with stakeholders um, and coming up with enterprises that that added something to the societal fabric that they were going to occupy. Um, So it became a very, very passionately um, enthusiastic sort of space with all that energy from, I mean, I had 30,000 students so, you know, the energy of 30,000 students, you know, was, was just phenomenal. But they were very much the bridge. They were absolutely the bridge.
0: So, before we talk more about what happens with this transformational leadership is present, can you speak a bit, Wendy, to some of the current organizational and leadership models we're seeing um, before we go into hearing more about transformational leadership?
1: Yes, I mean, that's the, the area that I'm working on now is to to try and understand how is it that um, organisations, and obviously my expertise is working with um, colleges, schools, universities, but, but also with some businesses as well, is that um, we seem to have organised ourselves into... Um, Kind of two spaces really. One is this kind of senior management hierarchy and executive and middle level leaders um, who, who have a particular role about um, custodians and stewards of the organisation in terms of vision, mission, strategy. Um, and then we have a group, you know, sort of like the rest of the organisation who, who operate as the community really. Um, And I think what I'm seeing um, increasingly is that if the senior management hierarchy is not deeply connected to its users, to its community, that that actually they are unable to deliver of the the amount of change and the the sort of quality of transformational change, uh, given all the pressures that are on organisations and senior leaders. So... um, we're really working, and I'm, you know, some of the work that I'm doing now is to try and say, how can we better bridge um, senior management hierarchy with with that community of social networks within organisations and actually outside organisations to get that deep-level engagement um, to drive our institutions forward. At the moment, I'm seeing, uh, you know, senior managers just isolated um, or um, insufficiently in touch with how to get that deep sort of uh, engagement from their staff staff are turning up to work but their whole self is not turning up to work uh, and therefore there's a huge amount of creativity and ideas left on the table or there's a, a lack of trust really uh, in many organizations so it's how do we how do we support senior managers to to take up their full authority by uh, drawing uh, from all of the people in their organisation and all of their networks the creativity and the, and the innovation that we need to deliver on um, our core purpose, whatever that core purpose happens to be. Uh, for me, it was about transforming lives through education and research. So how do I make sure that everybody coming in to the organisation could understand that was what we were there to do. There's that wonderful story um, about the guy who's sweeping the floor at NASA and someone says, hey, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm here, I'm putting a man on the moon. So he felt part of the big vision, you know, and so I wanted everybody coming into the organisation, whether they were a security guard, whether they're the most senior professor, to feel that they were part of this transformational journey about transforming lives through education and research. And we got there. I mean, we got to a position where uh, one of our catering staff said, we've got so many international students, why aren't we producing, you know, opening up our, one of our cafes to, to say that they can come in and cook meals together and be together and showcase their culture through food. And, and you know, I, I know that that brilliant idea would never have surfaced in my organisation and added so much value. If we hadn't had that sense of deep engagement, that meant that she felt safe to voice it, that there was a sort of sense that, yeah, let's let's do something like this, let's experiment within our organisation. And actually, it was a very good sustainable thing to do, because we were looking, you know, using local produce, and we were um, kind of opening up our cafe at a time when It wasn't normally open, so there was income coming in, and there were local producers producing, and there was all sorts of. So, some really positive sort of community benefits came off the back of an idea that I know would have got crushed uh, in other organisations. And so, you know, as a senior manager, I want loads and loads of great ideas, so I want my organisation to absolutely thrive. So, why would I want to leave all that sort of creativity on the table?
2: How do you actually elicit that from? Members of the community, how do you break individuals out of this narrow-minded yeah. mentality and and create a paradigm shift? Trigger a paradigm shift to um, identify with the whole yeah. as opposed to the self. How you know how? What prompted uh, that individual to come up with that idea? How how was that safe space created for her to feel free to yeah. share her? ideas and creativity.
0: And also, you know, why has this not been adapted? What are some of the hurdles? What might be scary about this new type of leadership model? Maybe you could speak to that as well.
1: Um, I think one of the key things that senior managers need to do is they need to create a vision of what tomorrow might look like. Mm -hmm. And they need to in terms of their organisation, they need to be, you know, completely clear about the challenges that are there. But they need to have a belief, I think, a kind of positive uh, belief that the resources and the ideas are are there to be had. You know, they need to not ha- adopt a kind of scarcity deficit uh, model. They need to sort of be thinking about, I've got this abundant, you know. Um, creativity, how do I manage it towards the purpose, but they need to be really clear about their purpose, and I think and I see with a lot of um, organisations and teams that because the world is chaotic, and um, there's high degrees of ambiguity, they feel that they need to follow the next trend, or they'll wait until things are more certain, or, you know, there's almost, they're almost paralysed by so much change, and I think you have to, as a senior manager, feel comfortable With ambiguity Um, Mm -hmm. but I think you need to understand that for your teams and for your the members of your organization that the gap between now and the future that that gap that void between now and then you know is is actually a very scary place to be and I think you need to assure as a senior manager assure people that that sort of void is um, something that you can support them through and hold them in that sense of this is a journey and we're making it together and i want your ideas and i think you have to work on really work on um, articulating what your values are what your shared purpose is and where you want to go to together and it's something you're going to you know a journey you're going to make together but you're asking people to leap into the future with you um, and that's quite, you know, a scary thing to do. So I think you have to recognize that for staff it's quite uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: And for an administrator too, I know we've had conversations before and I feel that there's a lot of pressure. You're supposed to be this expert and you're supposed to know everything and have all the answers and no one has all the answers. How? What would you tell an administrator that's listening to this podcast right now? What's your advice for them? What should they be embracing? What are some common fears or advice yeah. you'd like to share?
1: I think I think there is a sense that if you if you are a senior manager or a senior leader, there is a sense that you've got there because as you say you know everything. And I think the more the higher you go, I think the real, the realization is you know less and less. <laughs> um, what you do know is the strategic dimension. What you don't necessarily have is all the detail. Um, So what you need is to feel comfortable enough in your space as a senior leader to be able to to invite others to come in and populate the detail Mm -hmm. and not feel somehow that that is diminishing of you in a power role, but to somehow um, kind of recognise the hierarchy can become a barrier to people expressing their true opinions and their their true thoughts and it's a bit like uh, there's that story of the emperor's new clothes you know nobody would say that the person had no clothes on you know? <laughs> um, so somebody has to call out and uh, and I think for, for some leaders it's very difficult to to make yourself available um, and invite people in to give their ideas and thoughts um, sometimes it's lack of clarity that you're not asking the right questions and I think one of the you know one of the things leaders need to do is ask great questions you know how how can we get better how can we really serve our students more how can we um, be a very distinctive school how can we you know they really need to be pushing uh, at being ambitious and then waiting for answers and creating the conditions where providing answers and ideas becomes something that's quite safe to do. Um, I think that's that's the kind of thing that senior leaders can do. Um, or you can sit back and go, well, I'm very busy and this all sounds very nice and I've heard that woman doing that podcast and she seems a bit dreamy um, <laughs> about all of this stuff. But if I look into my in-tray, there is so much to do. There are so many ways that I could go. But I think if you sat down with your team you decided on your path you need to have sufficient agility to adjust but you need to be resilient enough to make decisions and provide sort of clarity of direction so people um, who are ordinary people coming into your uh, organization can do the most extraordinary things if they're engaged hearts minds Um, and it's how many people are turning up but not turning up Really? really in organisations and um, I know we've talked about one of these things before but I have a real sense that there are so many ideas and solutions and innovations that somehow we're choking out of people you know that is just not surfacing because organisations are somehow you know this hierarchy is disabling of you know this the whole community really to engage um, and yet when you talk to people they have huge Huge pride about their school or who's done what, or the kind of students that are coming out, or graduates, or innovations, or there's real pride there. I think you know it's tapping into that sense of shared purpose, I think, about what your organization's for. That's what I've um, learned, I think, and also being prepared as a senior manager to kind of pause the hierarchy a little bit. I used to have um, what I called Cafe Forum events uh, i'd go in open up one of our kind of coffee shops uh for like 30 or 40 people first come first served kind of basis and just sit and have discussions with people and talk to them about things and say look we're talking about internationalization you know what do you think the risks are what do you, what ideas do you have what thoughts do you have and i think sitting around the table a different kind of table literally mm. was um very interesting to see you as a real person You know, to see the senior team as a real person, really interested, really present, listening, thoughtful, and engaging, rather than just being some distant, shadowy sort of figure, really.
2: And if you step into a culture that's very hierarchical, how do you convince your colleagues who are steeped in this operating mode to adopt more agility, to be more open, Mm. to invite new ideas in from staff who have maybe been quiet for some time. Mm. How do you make the case to your peers Mm. to adopt this new operating
1: system, if you will? Well, um, I think I would appeal to their sense of competition um, because it is proven really, that those organisations that have high levels of staff engagement and high levels of trust, that doesn't mean they have any less hierarchy, but that there is trust and engagement. They are just more successful. So, you know, if I'm being competitive, I wouldn't tell anyone any of these things, because I think they are some of the secrets to being hugely successful, But if I'm really genuinely interested in collaborative approaches, I'd be saying, well, would you not want to get more out of your staff for the same pay bill? Uh, Well, yes. Would you not want to come up with better ideas and have people turning up fully engaged and have your productivity go up and have your sense of fun and energy and and happier people around? Then most people go, yeah. Um, Yes, they would. And so I I do think that um, it is about building successful organisations and organisations that can thrive in these very disruptive times and just be more agile and be more resilient and genuinely be more successful. So, um, you know, the question I'd be asking is, do you want to know some of these hints and tips and frameworks and ideas to be more successful? And show me a senior manager that doesn't want to be more successful. So I think I'd be asking that question.
0: Okay, so all of this sounds great. More productivity, more engagement, more buy-in. I'm thinking, sign me up. Why (laughs) has everyone not signed on
1: to this model and way
0: of thinking?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think um, I think people are kind of a bit cynical sometimes. It's, um, but I I think the main reason is that um, unless it connects, unless you can show that it genuinely connects to the strategy um, and helping to deliver the strategy, then I think you know senior managers are quite right to say okay, why would I want to engage here? Um, you know, and um, I think that's part of their custodianship, part of their role as a custodian of an institution. But I think you know, if, if you're saying all of these things are nice to have, nice to do uh, when everything's going well, that's actually not my message. What I'm saying is under these constrained times, these disruptive times, uh, these times when we're looking at risk and cost-cutting, Why would we not want to more deeply engage the staff that are there? You know, why would we not look for ways? Now, the things that I have seen, um, when I think about my own leadership journey, when I first became um, a head of a subject group, I felt that as the leader, I needed to know all the answers. As I progressed, I now know that as a leader, I need to have all of the questions or a lot of the questions. And so I don't see... Uh, my sense of being invitational to others as a threat to my power base or my sense of hierarchy or my business card title. Um, I see that as me taking up my full responsibility as a senior leader to get the best out of my people um, who are working in that organisation. And um They will give me what I'm paying for in terms of pay bill and salary and benefits, but also they have a certain amount of discretionary effort that they can uplift into the organisation. So how do I tap into that discretionary effort and get them to do more of their thinking and ideas and creativity and bring that into my organisation? If it costs me that I think there might be a sense of shame that I don't know the answer, maybe I'll look stupid because I don't know the answer, um, I don't think they're very strong senior management attributes I think as a senior manager you need to have a sense of clarity about direction strategy and you're being presented with a whole range of ideas where you put your senior management hat on is you make the decisions either individually or as a group of senior managers about which of those choices to make I think in being, um, I think as, uh, as someone described it, passionately invitational uh, to others is not taking anything away from your power base, because your power, if you like, is, uh, as a senior manager, comes from the decisions that you make, and what you're really wanting to do is, can you amplify up the number of choices that are going to be presented to you, if that makes sense.
2: That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Thank you. Very well put. For sustainability coordinators who are listening to today's podcast Mm -hmm. many of them can relate to hitting their heads up against the wall trying to make the case for sustainability to senior decision makers to elevate it as a priority amidst many other competing priorities and what we're talking about today is the fact that sustainability doesn't have to compete so much as a priority but rather be reframed embedded in enhancing all of the existing priorities so i know you've done some work wendy to outline some tips and strategies for how Mm. to reframe sustainability um, to senior leadership so it aligns with their existing priorities would you would you mind sharing yes Um, i'm
1: very fortunate to be um a member of uh, the board of a charity in the in the uk Mm. uh, which is called the environmental association for universities and colleges and um we shared i think your sense of frustration um from our colleagues in the sustainability sort of profession that they were um despite their very best efforts i think failing to make the case to uh secure um not necessarily sometimes investment but just to secure time uh and agenda time with senior managers um, and so we really took that problem and started to dissect the problem and to to find out if we could explore that a bit more deeply and I think what we found was exactly as your question kind of hinted is that if we continue to say or if we continue if sustainability professionals continue to to preach um, do more green things and really uh, really think about sustainability, it was rich, literally bouncing off the attention span of senior managers, um, because they were not connecting those messages with the things that were um, occupying the top team at the top table. What the top teams were talking about, they were talking about risk and uh, investments and student success and research success. And so we thought, actually, Many of the issues around sustainability are solutions for cost containment, efficiencies, effectiveness, a better student experience, better employability. So we started to do some work um, around how can we come up with articulating the uh, messages around being a sustainable organisation and connect them with what I call strategic sustainability and say well actually there are many reasons why you should think about sustainable organizations and so we actually came up with what I call ten big green reasons um, but we never mentioned the term sustainability once we talked about resilience so we talked about the fact that if you manage your costs better and you deploy your resources more effectively then you will create some surplus that you can invest in new projects, um, that you can manage your risks in a very different way. Then actually, through the process, you find that your staff and students become much more engaged in your organisation. So things like staff turnover go down, things like staff satisfaction surveys and staff surveys about the quality of being an employee at that organisation go up. Um, so we found things that the students themselves became more desirable as employees so the graduate employability went up so there were a whole range of reasons I won't go through all of them but there were a whole range of reasons that if you thought about connecting as a sustainability professional really deeply understanding the strategy of your institution and saying how can I connect issues around being a sustainable organization with delivering that strategy that to me seemed to be the way that we got sustainability professionals speaking senior management speak if I could put it like that right. there was no dilution of their credentials around their sustainability but there was a deeper understanding of where is my institution trying to get to how can I look as a sustainability professional, into the tools and frameworks and tips that I have to help them get there. And that seemed to be, though, uh a piece of work so, that we did and um, has gone down extremely well.
2: Wonderful.
1: And for our listeners, we'll try to
2: post um, this resource that Wendy's referring to, the 10 big reasons to go. Great. Yep. So, yeah, because if we're not talking about sustainability because apparently not everybody can get it um, and I think it's been again frustrating for sustainability professionals to be waving mm. this flag and to feel like the the majority of the, the public doesn't quite latch on, doesn't quite internalize this mm. this phrase so what what is our ought state, where are we heading if we can't talk about this thing that we're trying to achieve? Is it just to be more resilient and yeah. agile as organizations and as individuals in a changing world. I'm just wondering in terms of the language and the yeah. kind of like, in the art state, where are we headed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know the answer. It's a journey that I'm on myself, really, which is to say, actually, when you kind of codify most of the conversations that are going on in academic committees, in... Um, senior management away days and uh, you know retreats and all sorts they really 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 are talking about how is it that we make our institution thrive how can it be more successful how can we do more with less how can we prepare our students better for this changing world and so actually they really are talking about sustainability Um, and I suppose the question would be does it really matter that they don't know that they're talking about sustainability <laughs> right. when they are really talking about um, thriving and doing more with less and cutting costs and being resilient and being agile. Isn't that okay if we can, you know, never mind the never mind the language in a sense, but understand that that's really what they're doing. Um, and a colleague of mine talks about really, is it that sustainability could be the problem that solves the organization which I think is a really nice Hmm. kind of way of thinking about it.
0: And it's almost as if you're saying that rather than this extra initiative it's a way of thinking it's an organizing principle it's it's a lens for decision making not this extra additional
1: thing. I, I think that's that's perfectly put and that's the way that we've sort of talked about it is that it isn't something that's added to your basket of things to do it is the lens through which you look at the things that are in your in tray uh, it's the lens you know through which you look at the things that you're tasked to do and i think that's a, a perfect way of explaining it
0: great well one last question wendy you have such a wealth of knowledge. What are you reading? What resources can me and Sierra and Talia and our listeners reference to learn more about all of what you're talking about?
1: Well, hopefully, um, you know, on the back of um, this discussion, we might produce something, you know, with you, which would be great. Um, But I, I read all sorts. I'm really interested in In the idea, not of like hero leadership and one particular leader. And I know I'm sitting here as one particular leader. um, But how do we get the, you know, how do we really get people to be self-leaders and and really uplift themselves into their organisations, you know, big or small. Um, But I read all sorts. I'm reading all sorts of books and papers about how people engage. and, And also understanding, I think, the real depth of change that's coming and therefore my personal responsibility, but I think also my social responsibility to help the people around me to just be more comfortable and more able to embrace that change, because it, it's phenomenally fast. I mean, I was looking reading something the other day um, which was saying that, you probably won't even remember them, uh, how old you are, but but CDs that were like £17 billion of, uh, or $17 billion of revenue it went down in a couple of years to, like, two, you know, because it just disappeared. And so, you know, this is changing really, really fast. And I think we need to help people get a bit more comfortable with uh, holding ambiguity and being able to deal with change, I think. That's, so that's why I'm reading all sorts of things. And writing, too. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Okay.
0: I- well, Wendy... Thank you so much for joining us on the Earth podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for sharing your wisdom.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a real opportunity. Thank you. After speaking with Wendy, we hear two
0: major takeaways from our conversation. Sustainability is a way of thinking, decision-making, and organizing principle to maximize what schools care about. Stakeholder productivity, financial prosperity, equipping students to succeed in the new economy, and risk mitigation. It can advance philanthropy, teaching, engagement, investment strategy, capital projects and be embedded into the organization's strategic direction rather than seen as a side project. There's also this new way of thinking about leadership. Leadership is needed for this cultural shift to take place. And as Wendy puts it, good leaders know how to ask the right questions. They do not need to know all of the answers. And it's difficult because currently we typically look to leaders for answers, so this is a fundamental shift to common perceptions. Leading by asking questions rather than knowing the answers and looking to employees and peers to fully participate in answering questions with you allows others to participate in the institution's strategic direction in a meaningful way. If employees have a voice and feel that their participation is powerful and acknowledged, they are willing to share their ideas, and this enables leadership to have a lot more ideas to choose from to expand the pool of ideas rather than constrain it. Thank you all so much for tuning into the Coalesce.Earth podcast. As always, we welcome your feedback, comments, and questions. You can email those to emily at coalesce.Earth, and we'll be back with another episode soon.